Thank goddess that these letters weren't burned. I'm certain that many others were. Others may be buried in boxes waiting to be found and pieced together, like Craig has done so lovingly for these. If he hadn't had that glimmer of recognition and become such a caretaker of these letters, we wouldn't have the chance to fall so deeply in love with these queens of New York City past. So thank goddess for that too. I particularly adore the snarky Daphne, star reporter of the New York gay set rat race, Josephine and Claudia, the queens who stole 35 wigs from the Met Opera, and Robin Tyler, the dyke drag queen who performed as Judy Garland at Club 82. But there are so many others in these pages. Personal accounts like these are necessary for queer history. They are an antidote to the depressing official record, the newspaper articles, psychiatric reports, and police archives that often try to paint queer expression and drag in particular as a trend, a shock, a tragedy, or worse. Instead, personal ephemera, letters, snapshots, stories, reveal the greater truth, the simple beauty of living life on one's own terms. We don't just need drag icons, activists written into history and superstars immortalized in pop culture. We need ordinary queens too, the ones who made their splash and then retired, the ones who were a little too anxious to raise their voices for revolution, the ones who just wanted to find love, the ones who were lost too soon. In some ways, it's easier to recognize yourself in that kind of story. Slangy, self-effacing, horny, overly ambitious, insecure, shady, and oh-so-human. In other words, totally normal, like all of us. The letters in this collection come from the particularly conservative 1950s and 60s in New York City. Despite official laws banning homosexuality and drag, queer life in this era is surprisingly well documented. Scholars like Esther Newton, Mother Camp, 1972, Roger Baker, Drag, 1968, and Martin Duberman, Stonewall, 1993, published interviews with street queens, professional impersonators, and everything in between. Underground magazines from the era like Transvestia, 1960, or Female Mimics, 1963, offer stunning first-hand accounts of activism and artistry alike. Because of the proliferation of these incredible stories, and also the challenging conditions faced in real life, drag from this era has grown particularly inspiring to today's generation of drag queens and kings, myself included. It reminds us where we come from, and illuminates some of the political inequalities that still remain. But the collection of letters in this book nevertheless reveals a fresh angle to this already vital picture, a joy and messiness that we must always remember. These young queens are silly and gossipy and sometimes a little superficial, and that's part of life. Several of the figures in this story did go on to blaze trails, like Robin Tyler, who became an activist in the 70s, or Terry, T-E-R-I, Noel, a drag queen who used mafia connections to secretly transition in the 60s. But others, like the central recipient of the letters, Ed, or Reno, lived a more quiet life, utilizing certain privileges to build wealth and success while largely losing touch with the community, although he did keep the letters a bittersweet reminder of his big queer youth. Without a doubt, though, no one in this story is a classic hero. And that's part of what makes it so interesting. After all, the most striking thing about these letters is not how the writers detailed their struggles or victories, but how they simply joked and expressed joy with each other, looking past changing circumstances to forge real community, even a temporary one.
And let's not forget the most important takeaway that no matter what, we should always remember to camp, carry, and pull a scene. Kisses, darling, got to go. XXX, Sasha Velour.